morning, everyone. Welcome here to our morning service at Calvary Baptist Church of Trehearn. And also welcome to those who uh, us via live stream and FM signal here in town. Please welcome and please open your hymnal to number 365. 365. Are we able, said the Master? Number 365. Oh 
Father, we're thankful again for the opportunity to consider that question, if we're able to follow Thee. And we're thankful that if we are saved, we are able to follow Thee because we are enabled to follow Thee by Thee. We're thankful that we can trust in the true God for our salvation, for our strength, for our wisdom, for our direction. And we're thankful that we can be a help to others, and we pray that Thy will be accomplished in our lives, that we would glorify Thee and seek to help others to know thy peace and mercy in these last days. May thy will be accomplished in our service. May our internet work well, that we can be a help to others, and encourage them to know thy peace and truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On over to uh, 436. Four three six. Bring them in. And four hundred and thirty six. Seventy-eight. 
478, constantly abiding. 478 <clears throat> There's a peace in my heart that the world never gave a peace in
So if you take your hymn books and open them to that song we just sang, number 478, just before we get into our Bible lesson, Bible study, and you look at that song, Constantly Abiding, and you look in the chorus, and in the chorus you you see two different lines of words there, right? The top line is... The word constantly, you have con, and then you have dash, 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 and uh, stently, abide, and hyphen, updating. You look at your notes, the, just about uh, everybody here except my wife and I, we, you sing soprano. So if you're singing the soprano, you're singing the con, hyphen, 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 constantly, abiding. You're not singing the bottom line, Okay. The bottom line is for the, in this song, if you look at your notes, the bottom line is for the alto and for the bass and, uh, let's see, and the tenor. But the, the, the alto in part of it doesn't have it, in part of it you do. Yeah. yeah. So you have to follow the notes, and some of you are learning piano. So if you look at what you're singing... Now, now, Ronnie, as Mr. Amati, as our song leader, he was singing it right. He was singing the top notes because he's leading in the soprano voice. He's a man, but he's singing the soprano. Okay, so the the bottom line there, the the constantly abiding, constantly abiding, repeating, Jesus is mine, Jesus is mine. That's for the altos. If you look at your notes, and for the tenor and for the bass. But the soprano sings the top line in the chorus there, okay? So, yeah, so generally when you look at a chorus in a song and you see two lines of words, the top line is generally for the sopranos. So the other line is for the harmony. So just like in our Sunday school lessons, we're learning about doctrine, and that's a doctrine in music. In music, you have four-part harmony, and in four-part harmony, the notes are there to um, to help you to sing your specific part. And so, just wanted to, to point that out. All right. So, we're going to go now into our study in Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22. <clears throat> And there we're looking at verses 8 through 13. Revelation 22, verses 8 through 13. And we'll stand, please, for the reading of God's word. And in verse 8 it says, And I, John, saw these things and heard them, and when I heard, when I heard and when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, 
let him be unjust still. He that he and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his work, according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have thy word. We're thankful for the truthfulness of thy word, for the blessing of reading thy word, for the promise that is given to those who believe in the true God. And we look forward, as this passage tells us, to the soon return, the quick return of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at our world, we see that there is a lot of turmoil. All of these things are warning signs, but we don't have any sign given to us in, in thy word that tells us this is the one that is going to be the last one. And so we just want to be faithful in serving thee and looking forward to the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for anyone listening that's not saved that they might see that today is the day that they should get saved. They shouldn't put it off any longer. We pray that they would listen to thee, to thy Holy Spirit, as he convinces them of their sin and of thy righteousness and of the judgment that is coming, that they would not dismiss that, they would not ignore that, but that rather they would want to listen and be saved today to know thy peace and blessing. So may thy will be accomplished, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message this morning is, Are You Ready for the Lord's Return? Are You Ready for the Lord's Return? Reliable news is hard to find. If you turn on the radio, if you turn on the TV, if you have one, I recommend you don't have one. If you turn on the internet, and you go to Fox News or you go to any other news outlet that's out there, most of them, you're not going to get the truth. You're going to get the reporter's version of the truth. The news used to be something that when someone had news, you remember in the Old Testament when Absalom was killed and uh, two men was uh, Shimei and uh, who was the other one? Starts with a C. They were going to run to David and give him the report. And Cushy, yeah, Cushy, yeah. And, uh, and Joab told one of them to run. I think it was Cushy that wanted to run, but Joab said, you don't have anything to say. And so then uh, the other one was told to run and he ran to David and gave him the news as he saw it. And then Cushy came and he gave the news as he saw it. And his news told David that Absalom was dead. But they both reported what they saw. They didn't give their opinion of what they saw. They just reported what they saw. Well, most news agencies today they don't just report what they see, they give their opinion of what they're, what they're seeing. And so it's very tainted. 
You're not getting the truth very often. And so you have to have discernment when you're reading or listening to the news today. It is important for us to know what's going on in the world. Uh, this week, again, our prime minister, he flew to Ukraine. He's in trouble in Canada. He's in trouble on the world scene. He's uh, not respected. Canada is not respected on the world scene. And, and he's losing his popularity. He's very unpopular. And they say if there was an election held today that he would lose. Now, we don't know that because elections aren't won by the ticking in the ballot box. Elections are won by money. And so we don't know that he would lose. He's very unpopular, that's true. But he was unpopular in the last election, and he's still the prime minister. And so you can't go by that. But the fact is, he went to Ukraine this week and promised $3 billion, your tax dollars, my tax dollars. He promised that to Ukraine, that even if the war is over, that Canada is going to be there to support the Ukrainians uh, and defend them against Russian aggression. Well, uh, you know, that's wasted money. That's money that we don't have. And we're borrowing it from China to give it to Ukraine. And uh, <clears throat> the whole war in Ukraine started because NATO decided to interfere in the affairs of that country and uh, threatened Russia with wanting to make Ukraine a NATO nation. And Russia had warned long ago not to do that. They wanted to have some, a buffer zone between themselves and other countries. It's very similar to what's going on in Israel. Israel, foolishly, but again, according to God's will, because they're lost, they gave the Gaza Strip to the Arabs. Lebanon was there already, but the Gaza Strip, they gave it to the Arabs. But Israel intended for there be, to be a buffer zone in part of the Gaza Strip. Nobody was supposed to build there because they wanted to have a buffer zone between themselves and the native neighboring country because they understood that the Arabs didn't like the Jews. But in Lebanon and in Gaza, the Arabs, they built right up to the Israeli border. And what did they use that, those buildings for? To set up their rocket launchers so that they could shoot their rockets to Israel, or to Jerusalem, not just into Israel, because they don't want to shoot them into the desert. They don't want to shoot them into the deserts of Judea. They want to get right to Jerusalem. And they didn't have strong enough rockets at first to be able to get that far. So they needed to build as close as they could, and then they launched their rockets from there. So what is Israel doing now? They're trying to, again, create that buffer zone. They're destroying everything that's in that path, and they're blowing up the tunnels and tr trying to create that buffer zone to keep some, some semblance of safety for their people. The thing that we have now is that the rockets that the enemies have are well able. They're not just powerful enough, but they're also, uh, they're also uh, maneuvered by radio uh, signal so they can direct them to wherever they want them to go. And they also have drones 
that they can use and fly them into enemy territory and do a lot of damage. So uh, it's important for us to understand what's going on to get the truth to be able to pray effectively and to also encourage others in making wise choices. We can't expect our government to make wise choices because they've rejected God. So there is no wisdom there. And so, but we can still seek to encourage uh, politicians to get saved. That's what they need. They're not going to make wise choices until they get saved. So as we look at our text, we're looking at the Word of God. And the Word of God is true. It's all true. <clears throat> we can trust everything the Bible says. We don't have to wonder if John is just giving us his opinion here. He's writing down exactly what God told him to write. So the first thing that we want to look at here is the, the need to guard against misplaced worship. Guard against misplaced worship. In verse 8, again, we're coming to the end of the book of the Revelation. John has seen a lot of things. He's been told a lot of things. He's written a lot of things down. And he's quite excited here. He's quite impressed with what he has seen. He's moved emotionally and spiritually. And it says in, in verse 8, And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. So John is moved to want to worship. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to worship. The important thing is to be moved to worship the right person. And John here, he sees the angel. The angel is a messenger of God. This is obviously not a false angel, not a false spirit, but it's a true angel. But he, as the angel reminds him in verse 9, that he is not God. And John here, as an apostle, still has some things to learn. That's very important for us today as well to understand that we need to be teachable. If you're not teachable, you've got a problem on your hands. You need to be teachable. And, and we all need to be teachable. And here, John wants to worship this angel. He falls at his feet, and he wants to worship him. The angel, in verse 9, then saith he unto me, See thou do it not. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. So the angel here is a created being just like John. He's an angel, but he's still created. So he's not God. And he tells us here that he's a fellow servant. So what are we supposed to be doing? Same thing the angels are doing. What are they doing? They're praising God. They're exalting God. They're messengers of God. They're obedient to him, the good angels are. That's what we're supposed to be doing. He says here, I am thy fellow servant. So angels, good angels, are created by God to help us. And the Bible tells us that elsewhere. So angels are there to help us. We can't see them. There are some people that are quite impressed with angels and they have angels or their image of angels hanging from their mirror in their 
vehicle. They might have pictures of angels in their house. We don't know what an angel looks like. We have some description of them in the Bible, but we don't have enough of a description that we could make and draw a proper image of an angel. And we really don't need to have that because it tends to become something that people worship, just like John wanted to hear. Because we think, well, an angel, that's coming from God. And most people today, they couldn't discern between a true angel and a false angel anyway. And there are many false angels, fallen angels. And so John here is a man of God, but he needs to be corrected here. And so this angel, as a good angel, does not accept the worship of John. He does not allow John to worship him. He tells him, they said unto me, see thou do it not. He's not going to accept it. Now, if this would have been Satan or one of Satan's angels, that angel would have gladly received the worship of John. Anybody, I'm told, anybody that goes and has the, the uh, dreaded place of meeting the Pope is expected to bow before that man and kiss his ring. This week I was sent an invitation for a conservative-minded outfit that is having a conference that I can join via the internet. And in that conference they're going to be talking about how we can make changes in our country and our government for, to make our country better. And the speaker that they have invited for this conference is Boris Johnson. Now, who's Boris Johnson? He's the former Prime Minister of England. He's an ungodly man. He's been married, he's married three times, divorced twice. He was living with his present wife before they were married and then married her. He's a vile man. And yet in the invitation that was sent to me and sent to who, know, who knows how many people, he's called your worship. He's called the honorable, I think was the term they used as well. He's not an honorable man. He's a man that we should be warned to stay away from. He's an ungodly man. He's a wicked man. Yes, he was a mayor at one point, and then he became the leader of the Conservative Party in England, and then he became the Prime Minister, but he's a wicked man. And here they, they think that this is such a great thing that they have brought this man to speak to Canadians, to motivate Canadians to help to turn our country around. Around to what? To an adulterous country that endorses divorce and remarriage and cannot uh, figure out the difference between truth and a lie. That's what we're supposed to be encouraged by. And so I wrote them and I told them, I said, you need to get some better people that have some discernment to be able to choose good speakers if you want to try and encourage us to know how to live and change our country for the better because men like Boris Johnson are not going to do it. He went to, to Ukraine when he was the Prime Minister. I think he was still Prime Minister at that time. But he went to the Ukraine and convinced Mr. Zelensky not to sign a peace agreement with Putin. 
Mr. Putin wanted to end the war. He wanted to stop the fighting. And Mr. Johnson went over there to stop Mr. Zelensky from signing that peace agreement. So that's not the kind of a man that we want, and yet we're told to hold that man in high esteem. Here John is looking at this angel, and he is holding this angel in high esteem, and he wants to worship him, and God says, don't do it. The angel says, don't do it. I'm not going to let you do it. He says, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. So the angels also need to keep the sayings of God's word. They're not above the law of God. And that's what makes them good angels as compared to the fallen angels. The fallen angels did not keep the word of God. But this angel is expected to do the same thing as we are. So even though angels are in a different realm than we are, the Bible says that we are going to be uh, judging the angels. So we have a higher position in God's creation than angels do. And so <clears throat> that's important that John here be instructed of this by this angel who had his, his role to fulfill, but he was not to be exalted to the place of worship. And so it, there's an important lesson here for us to learn as well. And on this earth, when you talk to a judge as well, you're, you're supposed to address the judge as your worship. Well, a judge is not worth worshiping. I'm not aware of any Christian judge in Canada. There may be some. I'm not aware of any. Because generally, by the time they get that high up, they're pretty corrupt. Because a judge usually begins uh, as a lawyer. And most lawyers are liars. And then they, they start to work as judges in the lower court system. And then they move up until they maybe get up to the Supreme Court. But few of them get that far. But they're usually very corrupt men and women. And yet we're supposed to address them as your worship. What for? They have their place of authority given to them by man. But they're certainly not individuals worthy of worship. We should be able to respect them because they're supposed to uphold the law. But we've seen in Canada that they don't do that. And we're in a very difficult place in Canada right now. And we need to understand that the one that we need to worship is God. That's what it says in verse 9. Worship God. He's the one that we need to exalt. He's the one that we need to look to. And he's the one that we need to follow. The second thing that we see in this passage is God's word needs to be declared. In verse 10, it says, And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. If you go back in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. <clears throat> and in verse 4, Daniel is told this. It says, But thou, Daniel, O Daniel, shut up, the words and seal the book. Even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. 
So Daniel was told to seal the book. Now John is told not to seal the book. So the time, it tells us now, is at hand. So John is writing several hundred years after Daniel. And the time at John's time was at hand for the people to read and to understand what's coming in the future. That was so in John's day, and it's so for us today, almost 2,000 years later. The word of God needs to be declared. The book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, needs to be studied, needs to be preached, needs to be believed. All of the Bible needs to be preached and believed. So John here is told not to seal things, and so we have the opportunity of reading and studying this book. It says, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So much of the Bible is prophecy, and much of the book of the Revelation is prophecy. It's things that were future to John's time, and it's still future to our time today. It could begin to open up today, really. There's nothing stopping the Lord Jesus from coming back today and taking the Christians out of this world and for the Antichrist to be installed as the world leader. The world is ready for that. They are anxiously looking for someone who can bring some different direction to our world. The Klaus Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum, has, has probably more influence over the world than many other men. George Soros helps him. Uh, Bill Gates helps him. Others like that are helping him, but Klaus Schwab is the head of the World Economic Forum, and it's called the World Economic Forum. And every year, the different leaders of countries go to that forum and they go to get direction from him. Over half of our current government cabinet is being directed by him. And he boasted about that at one of their meetings, that they have all been trained by him and they get their direction from him. Our finance minister is on a board for the World Economic Forum. So when our country, when our finance minister develops the budget for our country, she is getting input from the World Economic Forum as to how our country is going to spend its money. So we are in grave trouble as a country. But the time is at hand for the things of the book of the Revelation to unfold. And so it could happen at any moment. Now, one of the things that we need to remind ourselves of is that there are over 100 perversions of God's word in the English-speaking world today. Over 100. So when it says in verse 10... Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. 
Now, which book are we talking about? If we take the mindset of the new evangelical crowd, you really don't know what you're reading because they are so different one from another. <clears throat> I listened to a part of a funeral message today of someone that we were uh, informed of that died in our area and they read from John chapter 14 and they read there in my father's house are many dwellings. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there are many mansions. So which is it? Is it a mansion or is it a dwelling? Some of the perversions call them rooms. Which is it? So you see, we need to have the truth and the truth is found in the word of God. And you see, God says, don't seal it so we can know what the word of God says. We don't have to sit there and say, well, yeah, okay, it's, he says dwellings, it should be mansions, but it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's not what the Bible says. And the problem is that too many, think, too many people have that attitude that it's not a big deal. And that attitude is not only reflected in their attitude towards God's word, but it's reflected in their attitude towards many other things because, as we said in Sunday school, right doctrine will help us in our worldview. If you don't have right doctrine in your life, then you don't care if somebody speaks lies. It doesn't really concern you. It doesn't really bother you. It doesn't matter. It's the, it's the intent that matters more than what the person actually says. And that's not biblical. That's a problem. That's a danger. And so John was told here not to seal it. And then in verse 11, he says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He, and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. So there's a grave danger that John is told to warn us about here in the last chapter of this book. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you turn back there in your Bibles... And we've also been seeing this in the book of Romans in our devotionals. But if you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it tells us there <clears throat> in verse 7, it says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. 
So we know that when the rapture takes place and when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he is going to convince the world to believe a lie. And the Bible says that God is going to send the people that are left behind strong delusion. So we mentioned it before that there's a, a documentary, I guess you call it, or maybe a movie you call it, that was put out when, when I was a young person called The Thief in the Night. And that movie at that time when I saw it, it was wrong then, still wrong today. I didn't know it was wrong then, but I do now. It was promoted by our church and by a lot of churches. But that movie talks about Christians who are left behind when the rapture takes place. And how that particular couple of people, from what I remember, are running and hiding and trying to find a way to survive in the midst of the tribulation. The Bible says that those who enter the tribulation are going to be given strong delusion by God so that they cannot believe the truth because they rejected it when they had the opportunity to receive it. That's what the Bible says. And in our text in Revelation chapter 22, it says there, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. So it's talking there about the fact that God has written the people off. They want to be unjust. Let them be unjust. So in our world today, we have a lot of unjust people. We have a lot of filthy people in our world today. When you listen to the news anymore, it's, it's really quite surprising, quite saddening to me that the reporters are openly swearing anymore. They don't even hide it. They don't even apologize for it. Some of the more vulgar swear words, they still bleep them out, but other ones, they, no problem. Our society has become so accepting of filth. And God says, he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. So John is writing here of a time when God is going to just say, okay, you want to be that way, stay that way. And it seems to me that there are more and more people today that are that way and they don't, their conscience is so seared that nothing seems to stop them. In Alberta this week, there was a plebiscite put out in a small town called Westlock. And Westlock is, I think they said, around 5,000 people. It's not a very big place. Bigger than Treehern and Rathwell and Holland. But it's not big in compared to cities. And Westlock, they, uh, last year I think it was, the council of Westlock agreed to allow the sodomites to paint a sodomite symbol on a crosswalk in their town. The crosswalk was painted in the multicolors of the sodomite flag. Now in this plebiscite, the council, by the way, the council was in agreement with that, but the town was not. The people were not. So they put out a plebiscite and they asked the people, what do you want? And the majority of the people, a slim majority, but a majority nevertheless, said, we don't want any 
other symbols than the flag of Westlock, the flag of Alberta, or the flag of Canada flying, and no symbols on our crosswalks or anything. We want just plain crosswalks, white, with the painted stripes on them, that's it. The council, including the mayor, said that he was very disappointed in the results of this plebiscite. And so he intends to continue to work to try to make the sodomite agenda acceptable. But you see, the sodomites, they chose this little town outside of Edmonton to make a statement. But the citizens of that town have said, no, we don't want that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when it's time to choose the next council. It'll be interesting because you see the sodomites from other places now, they have said, we're going to funnel lots of our money into Westlock to turn this thing around. So again, you see that elections are not based on what you check off on a box. It's money. Money goes in there and influences elections and people are put into places of councillors and running for council by money, not by their ideas. So, but that's the filth that we have going on in our world today and in our own country. And we see that the sodomites in Canada are becoming more strong, not less strong. They're not becoming weaker. They're becoming more powerful. And we have our politicians who are so scared to say anything that even if... Uh, I, was talking, I'm not, I was listening to something and the, the man was talking about how that in private he had talked to some of the politicians who didn't agree with the liberal government's agenda, but they were too scared to say anything. Those people are cowards. And yet they're running our country. But it says here, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is, he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. So you see, the standard is still there that for those of us that are saved, God still requires righteousness of us. He still requires holiness of us. We need to be holy. We need to be a light in a dark world. Are we going to be respected? No. Our government is working on a bill. I was sent a, a warning from some preachers this week that there's a bill that our government wants to promote that if they pass that bill in Parliament, which they may well do, it's going to make it illegal to say the things that I've just said to you here today. So I may have the privilege of ending my life in prison because I'm not going to stop speaking. But that's what our government wants to pass. They want to make it illegal to speak the truth. And so those of us that are Christians, we need to understand that we're in a spiritual battle. For most of my life, Christianity has been cowardice. We've been hiding in the closet. 
We've been trying to be politically correct. But God is purifying his body. And he wants people to be saved. And so in order for people to be saved, they need to be told the truth. They're not going to get saved through the lies of the new evangelical culture. And God wants people to be saved. So it is important for those of us that are saved to be righteous and holy. To be speaking the truth, not because it's popular, but because it's right. It's what God declares. Then we see, lastly in this text today, the Lord's return will be quick. In verse 12 it says, And behold, I come quickly. So again, for those that are listening to me today and you say, Well, I'm not ready to get saved today. I'm going to wait. The Lord's return is going to be quick. You're going to be sitting in your chair, or walking down the street, or mowing the lawn, or drawing a picture, or driving a car, or, or whatever, and the Lord is going to return. It's going to be quick. It makes me think of when I had my first heart attack and when I went into the hospital to get checked out for that, as I was already beginning to have that, and uh, they were doing some tests on me, and I remember laying on that bed, and I remember seeing them stick a needle into my, I believe it was my leg, and that needle was supposed to have a clot buster in it because they thought I might have a blood clot. And I remember seeing them put that needle in there, and that's the last thing I remember. And my heart stopped. I didn't plan that. I went to work that morning, and I expected to finish the day at work and to go home again. I didn't plan that, but my heart stopped. And if it wasn't for God wanting me to still be here, they would have buried me. So you see, things can change very quickly. And you and I are not in control of what happens. So it doesn't matter whether you're young or you're old. It's very foolish to think, well, I'm not ready to get saved today. I have too many things on my mind, too many things I want to do, and salvation is not very high on my list. You can be gone quicker than you can blink. Quicker than you can snap your fingers, you can be gone. Doesn't matter what your age is. So it says, and behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. So you see, God has a reward for those that are saved. Heaven. His reward is with him. He has it now. To give every man according to his work according as his work shall be. So God knows what you're doing, knows what I'm doing, knows what I'm thinking. He knows those that are saved. He knows those that are not saved. And his reward, of course, is only for those who are saved. Lost people, it's no reward to go to hell. It's no reward to go into the lake of fire. But it is a reward to receive gold, silver, and precious stones, as the Bible says, is awaiting those who are saved. And then in verse 13, we see that the voice 
is different now than it was in verse 8. In verse 8, an angel was speaking to John, and John wants to worship an angel. In verse 13, it says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That's Jesus Christ. That's not the angel. The Alpha and Omega, Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter. It's Omega, actually, in Greek. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. So what Jesus is telling John here, he is the beginning and the end, and he tells us that. The first letter, the last letter, so everything in between is all part of his control. The beginning and the end, it says, the first and the last. Jesus Christ was the first one to be resurrected, and he's the first one to be the savior of mankind and he's also the last one to be the savior of mankind there is no other savior he's the first and the last he's the creator and he's the savior so he is everything so we need to know him and we need to serve him and we need to understand that he is in charge today and that all people are accountable to him. He is the one that we need to know. He is the one that we need to serve. And so that's very important for us to keep in mind as we go through our days, as we live our lives, as we make our plans, that the things that are written in the book of the Revelation, things that are still future today, could become reality in a moment of time. Because Jesus is coming quickly. And there's nothing that we're looking for today that has to happen before he can come. And that's important to keep in mind. As we look at our world, we read the news and listen to the news and see what's going on in Israel. There's nothing that needs to happen yet before Jesus can come. Nothing. All the troubles in the world that are going on, there's nothing interfering with Jesus' return except the long-suffering of God. He doesn't want anybody to perish. So if you're listening to me today and you're not saved, God wants you to be saved. But just because he's waited for you till now doesn't mean you're going to have tomorrow. Because the longer you wait, the harder you get against the truth. The more stubborn you become against the truth, the less likely it is that you're going to get saved. So these are things that you need to think about as you... Uh, carelessly go through your life and tempt God to see if he's going to let you live long enough to get saved or not. That's a foolish way to live. That's like the person that has a revolver and he has six chambers and there's five bullets in there and one is empty. And you're going to stand in front of that person and say, yeah, go ahead. I believe that chamber that's ready now to be 
in the firing uh, bracket that's empty so you're, you can go ahead and pull the trigger and it's not going to hurt me. That's a foolish way to live because there's five chambers that have bullets and one does not. And uh, you don't have, the Bible doesn't even say you have five chances. So the time of salvation is now, today. God's word is true and it's not sealed. We can know what God says. We have it right in front of us. And for those of us that are saved, we can be encouraged. Our world is becoming more wicked, but our Lord is coming quickly. And we need to pray for one another. We need to pray for the lost. And we also need to pray for the Lord's soon return. That we'd be ready, faithful to him, and looking forward to that day. That's our hope. That's our hope. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have thy word. We're thankful that we can study thy word that we can be drawn to the truth. And we're thankful for each one that's listening today. Thou knowest the heart of each one. We're thankful that thy word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and able to pierce into the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and the marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so there's nothing that's hidden from thee and everything in that person is exposed before thee. So we pray that each one that's listening today, each one of us, would take thy word seriously, allow thee to do thy work in our hearts, that we could know thy peace and blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.